0: A podcast one production. From the inside with Peter Ricks.
1: Peter Ricks is an Australian music industry veteran who has spent his life working in and around the music business in Australia. From managing artists like Marsha Hines, John English, Hush and Billy Field, to 14 years as the original producer and chairman of the ARIA Music Awards. Along the way, Peter has made a lot of friends, and it's some of these friends that you'll meet over the course of this series. They're the success stories, the survivors, the maniacs, who helped steer the Australian music business from the 70s onwards, and somehow, they're all still relevant and thriving today. You'll hear their stories, their triumphs and their troubles. Unvarnished and honest conversations with a bunch of unique, fascinating characters. Here's Peter to introduce this episode's guest. There are many criteria you could place around
0: success in the music business. Take your band to number one on the American Billboard chart. Sell 40 million albums. Nearly 50. (laughs) Sell out, he's already on the microphone. Sell out Wembley Stadium playing to about 75,000 people. 78. Any one of them would be seen as an extraordinary achievement. But to have managed all of those milestones and lived the journey to get there is simply amazing and frankly unique. A warm welcome indeed to the amazing and legendary In Excess manager and much, much more. Good morning, CM Murphy. Now. Mother of God, he just got a clap. <laughs> uh, clap. So when we first met, there was your mum Jan, your sister Sean and your and you at MMA, the youngest agent in the world in Sydney and apart from your sparkling good looks and slightly aggressive booking style, I didn't know that much about you at the time. So I think it's good that you fill in a bit of how you ended up inside mm-hmm. Mum and of course you, you then Dear departed dad's business.
2: Um, well, 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 well. I think I think I was uh, positioned to follow in the family business right from the start. Um, I guess it all started one day when my father came home from work from his Mark Murphy theatrical booking agency, and I think that's still when he was driving from Sydney to Shell Harbour. Three, you know, back and forth all the time. What a long drive in those days. And walked in the lounge room and said to me, uh, you're coming on the road with me. I was 10 years of age. And I said, but Dad, what about school? I hated school. And he goes, son, you'll learn more more on the road with me in two weeks than you'll learn at school. And I said, okay, let's go anyway. That tour was with a, a blue comedian, very blue. a I think a, a, a Russian um, Ukrainian juggle act and an exotic dancer called Yuki. So that Were you we- in love
0: with Yuki immediately?
2: Oh, of course I was. Um, <clears throat> actually, Yuki was fabulous because after that too, I came back and my dog, uh, Snooksy, got ran over and I was devastated. And she went, to, she went to the pound and bought me a dog and my father brought her home from Sydney or wherever she gave it to him and I was in the bath and he threw this little pup in the bath with me oh. and she was called Yuki. Oh. And so she lived for about... Oh, 28, 30 huh. years of age, yeah. So she died when I was living in New York. But anyway, yeah, so that's how I got into the business and really that was sort of the start of it. Um, and, you know, I used to do things like uh, stand at the door where I was, you know, and listen to my father on the phone and you didn't have mobiles the day. You couldn't sort of sit in the, you weren't sitting in the car. And um, then my father passed away when I was 14 and my mother went from being a housewife on the Friday, I think he died Friday night, yeah, Friday, um, and to Monday she was running a theatrical business, literally. And you guys were still living in Shell Harbour those days? Yeah, yes. Nine Wentworth Street, Shell Harbour. And... um, so then it was sort of like uh, she literally packed us up. It was, it, was, it was a terrible time in our life because I was a surfer. I was like, you know, anyway, I got to moved to Sydney and put in an apartment. Uh, we, we lived in an apartment. I, I, probably, uh, I was probably the biggest little prick in the world to my mother those days. Anyway, I was playing ice hockey, so it was still good. And um, eventually um, we moved over to Cronulla. And I started surfing again, which was fabulous. And one day, oh, that's right, in fifth in fifth form, year eleven now, um, the all the all the masters had grabbed me one by one and and said, Murphy, come here. I'd go into the room. They go, mathematics. If you don't, if you don't, uh, if you don't get your act together, we're kicking you out. You oh, know, yes, Mister Smith. So I'd go to the Mister Jones, coming science. If you don't get your act together, Murphy, we're going to kick you out. And I was like, yeah, okay, okay, but you need me in the football team. No, anyway, anyway, the masters, all the masters told me they're going to kick me out of school in in year eleven. Yeah. So my mother comes home one day and goes. Um, the the manager I've got at the moment I th- I think he's stealing from me I don't I'm not I not i do not know what's going on i have got I'm going to get rid of him Would you come and work for me? And I went Yeah sure, and she goes Yes but. Uh, what about finishing year 11 exams I went no mum no no it's fine I mean, helping you is much more important and she said something I'll never forget she was in the kitchen she turned around she said now one thing I'd be careful of if you don't do these exams and finish year 11 you always might always might look back and regret it and I go mum I promise you I will not regret it for a second <laughs> <laughs> so there there you go I had long hair around here because I was surfing and it was sort of bleach blonde and they took me over the stallion uh, stallion stable at Bankstown for I don't know, and they chopped all my hair off, put me in a suit, and uh, I went to work. In North Sydney? No, 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 this is in Ramsgate. Ramsgate, that's where my father's office was. And
0: that, that was really, it was a variety booking agency, yep. that, which was, you know, that world of the, of the RSL Club and uh, Sandy Scott and
2: Little Paddy and Kamal and all that sort of thing. Well, in those days, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, my first job, I actually told someone a story the other day. When I was t- t- telling them the story, I couldn't actually believe it. One day my mother goes, I've only been there for a week or two. She goes, um, you've got to go over to Hertz, wherever it was, pick up a hire car, it's a station wagon. You've got to drive to Auburn to Mr. Nash's office, which pretty good. And you've got to pick up, uh, I think it was Lionel Rose. And you've got to pick up uh, Lionel Rose and he's through two of his band and you've got to go take him to Orange Sex Services Club and you've got to uh, make sure the show runs okay. It's three nights there. <laughs> So there was no, you know, no, there's no questions. So I'd go, yeah. I go, and always remember the, going at the Bells line of road and it was piercing down with rain, like really. And I was scared as hell. I was just, just 18 or something yeah. with these guys in the back. So anyway, yeah, so I was thrown into it, you know, pretty heavily. It's funny these days when young people come and go, Chris, I really need to sit down and talk to you about my job description. <laughs> and I eyes. think you're pushing me too fast. <laughs> it's like... Oh, job
0: description? Just get over there and work. So when, when when did MMA slowly end up in the middle of mainstream music? How did that happen?
2: Um... Well, firstly, there was this guy around called John Williamson who's still around who had a hit, Old Man Emu, and I really wanted to try and get people not just, sorry, not disrespect for the cabaret artist, but someone who'd had a little bit of, a bit more profile or had a hit record. So I actually started, I got John Williamson's number from somewhere and I kept ringing him and calling him and in the end he said, I'll let you represent me just so so you'll stop ringing me. (laughs) I picked up John. He was earning $150 a show. I said, we're not doing any more, that anymore. I repackaged it into a show. It's called the John Williamson Show, put a couple of supports in there and sold it for $275. So I was sort of already sort of trying to sort of work out. I had these, I don't know, <clears throat> the, the sort of some, I didn't even know what marketing was in those days. So I had these, I don't know, a bit of packaging, marketing skills, whatever it was. So um, then, really, what happened is uh, I was getting really f- bit frustrated because uh, I was working every weekend. Like, I'd be in the surf at Cronulla and say, Oh, guys, I've got to go. You know, this bloody six foot breaking perfect. And they said, so, Where well, you got to go? So I've got to go do the Heathcote. There they go. Perfect example Heathcote X Services Club. I've got a patty, uh, pat- little patty show. Right. And uh, they went. Are you going to miss the best? I said. That's why. So I just. I was just. You know. I worked every weekend on Thursday. to Drive my Austin freeway down to Wollongong and to go to all the clubs and deliver the deliver the um, the wages for the artist. and uh, and every club manager used to say, oh, I was big, very fond of your dad. Just sit down and have a beer with me, son. So by the time I got to the last, <laughs> 18 to the last uh, club, I was like pissed out of my mind. I used to have to drive around somewhere and, and have a sleep before I drive back to uh, Cronulla. So, yeah, so... The, so it was people, in the blood though then, wasn't it? I mean, really, this, this is like
0: family heritage stuff.
2: Yeah, and then that's why people say to me... And a guy actually asked me from Universal, very high up in Universal, I had a call from LA the other day. <clears throat> what is it makes you a little, this so uh, different in this business? And I said because I didn't want to be a musician, I'm not a failed singer um, or musician. Most a lot of people in the music business, unfortunate, not unfortunately, uh, they wanted to be musicians. So uh, I never wanted to be a musician. My father bought me a drum kit. I think I swapped it for a surfboard. They got me a guitar. I swapped it for a Jimi Hendrix record. So mm. I had, I've still got no interest mm. in in that. Side of it, but uh, so I just think that, you know, and also just I was raised very professionally by my parents. Although they came from a very low income background, we still had a very strong discipline in in our family. And there's a, but the, to survive that world, I, mean, I remember
0: managing Marcia, and and eventually, you know, there's some interesting stories about um, you booking Marcia and how it grew because she was a recording act, and. And I really had had one experience in an in an RSL club with her when um, the, her then producer Robbie Porter's dad was a was a club booking agent, and Robbie came to me and said, "Oh, you know, my father has got a job for Marsha and I wanted a fair bit of money and for for, for Marcia to go and do one of these shows." And we'd never been inside an RSL club, and we had a truck, and we had. Sound and lights, and it was a twelve-piece band, and it was the Canterbury Horse and Park RSL, <laughs> and I ended up in your, your hands because we go to this club. The truck pulls up out the front. The band arrive for sound check, and a and a entertainment manager with a little emblem on his uh, on his blazer introduces himself and says, oh, you don't need any gear, all that." So the gear all left. But all there was was a little AWAPA and I, I looked at him and said, look, if, if that's all it's going to be, we can't do the show. So we'll now leave. Here's the name of the people you ring to get the PA and if you don't have it, then we can't play tonight. And it, and it sold out and it sold out for two more nights. It's three three shows, a lot of money. I think it was two grand for the three shows, something, something in those days that was good money. <laughs> So that night, uh, he, that afternoon, he called the Daily Telegraph or the Sunday Telegraph and got up on stage and introduced Barry Crocker and said, Marsha Hines told us not to, um, that she wasn't going to turn up because she doesn't like us and I hope the black bitch gets thrown back to us, to America. That, and that was the quote in the paper, front page. So you can imagine the black singer was not the happiest girl in the world. And I looked and said, we can't, we can't play in these places because we're coming culturally up against really people who have no interest at all in the recording industry, but rather in that variety world. And then you, were, you turned up and I always thought you were the conduit.
2: Well, it actually, it's, it's a good analogy um, because really <clears throat> that was the, 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 the fact because I, was, I wanted to get into the music, into the rock and roll side, let's call it. And, um, and I'd been a very good student when I say good student, like, uh, you know, when I used to buy albums in those days, people were li- looking at the lyrics and I, was, I always wanted to know what the management company was. So I was always doing my research and I was always watching what they were doing and, and not, probably not even realising why I was doing it in those days, just fascinated by the business side and not the music side. But the interesting thing is when I went to my mother, this is actually another question I didn't answer properly back a moment ago. I went to my mother and I said, listen, I want to start a rock and roll division. And she one day came to me and said, I'll let you do it on one condition. Uh, there's a guy called Ray Goldie. He works for blah, blah, blah. He's going back to Adelaide and he's got a gap of six weeks and I'll hire him for six weeks and that's your should, that should teacher. You. You've got six weeks to learn. So anyway, he turned up and he we sat down and we went through, you know, what have we got and he, and he very... Uh, astutely said to me, you've got all these clubs up here, we don't have them in Adelaide, um, and you've got all these bands who can't find work, and there's not enough venues because you've got to remember the Checkers and, you know, Hornsby, you know, <clears throat> where, uh, yeah. where Hush used to play, Hornsby, then over to Tarrant Point. And, well, uh, the the, that? the, the uh, youth clubs they were yeah, called. The youth yeah, youth club. So he said, if you could break, the, break down the door of those clubs, you'll be the biggest agent in Australia. And I wasn't really getting it. I mean, the band's playing in RSL clubs, the league club. so But anyway, he said, look, what we're going to do is we'll create a thing called Rock Night. And we'll um, – and it was a $350 package. And we go send out the poster, the tickets, handbills, whatever. else. you got the whole package. So, the first thing we did um, – so I'll come back in a second. And the other thing he said, all these schools, what about all the schools? Bands don't work during the day. And he said, why don't we start... Uh, oh, that's right. They'd done it in Adelaide. That's right. He and Bob Lott and a whole bunch of other guys, I think Ray Hearn or John Woodruff even in those days, were doing uh, whatever the radio station is down there. I just forget. SA, 5 AD. 5 AD. They were doing lunchtime concerts. And they were very successful. And he said, why don't you go and do your own lunchtime concert. So we came up with this idea to do a 25 cent ticket. So we sent out, so from not having a rock division, we sent out thousands of letters direct to the entertainment manager of all the clubs in Australia a taboo. So I had every agent ringing my mother in five oh, because seconds. Because the agents had exclusivity over clubs, right? That's right. Yeah. So the the clubs, the agents were ringing my mother and screaming. So you're, you're, who's the this son of yours is contacting our clubs direct? Ambush marketing, was Yes. It? And then uh, anyway, we sent out the thing to the schools, a little flyer, saying it's 25 cents a ticket. We sent it out to, that's right, we sent it out to the, and I still don't know why we don't do it anymore, or not us, but anybody, uh, to uh, the Student Body Council, I think it was called. So that's what we did, You know, the Student Body Council of uh, Heathcote High. Anyway, and it was a little thing saying, you know, 25 dollars, uh, $0.25 cents a ticket, we'll supply the tickets, a poster, the same thing. It was always very, it was always easy, you know. So eventually my phone was called ringing off the dial. And, it's, and the, the two biggest acts that was in the, my lunchtime concerts were hush. Um, and uh, ACDC. ACDC sometimes did three a day. And, uh, you know, in those days you'd play on your canteen on a, you know, you'd play the band and play on a table, you yeah, know. Yeah, we did. Any, anything to, to do well, with Well, the,
0: sc- the school halls was, mm. um, I look, we had the truck. We used to do the, the, that. That <coughs> was the bread and butter that paid for the band to be alive, yep. those jobs.
2: So... Then uh, so that really cast me into the in, into the you know the, I guess the rock and roll business pretty quick, and then uh, then eventually, uh, Ses Greg rang, who's the chap from the Melbourne Seals, and said, "Now tell me about this. Uh, firstly, Chris, don't contact my clubs direct, please, um, and secondly, what is this all about? Tell me all about it."
0: I, I just got to interrupt you, Ben. In, is it? They weren't listening to this. It's hard to define, but we. The Cess Greggs of this world, the Wally Nashes; these were all in in my eyes because I, I would have been no more than 24 or 25 in those days at the most. They were I saw them as ancient, like, you know, at, at the point of they should be retiring, but they controlled every one of those clubs and they held on to them. That was their livelihood, wasn't yeah. it, getting their hands on the club. Yep. You You were <clears throat> like the enemy from... The, the other <laughs> end of the world.
2: It's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> um, Anyhow, sis Greg Maruba. So he calls me and says, tell me the rock club. Anyway, so uh, he said, I've got an empty night on Thursday night at uh, Cronolic Services Club. Thursday night. We'll, we'll, do, we'll give you a six-week trial, I think it was. So the first day, I get a phone call from the club manager or something. This is going on your story. There's men in here, there's blokes in here walking in their shorts, thongs and and singlets carrying equipment and they smell and they have it showered. And I was like, excuse me, sir, you know, um, this is, you know, that's the row crew. They carry all the equipment in. And anyway, I'll get them out of there. And I said, anyway, this guy started going on. So I, I got my dander up. I said, listen, here, you. These guys have just driven all night from Melbourne to do your show. Okay. So if they're a bit dirty, but unclean, that's, that's going to be a problem. But tonight you're going to have freaking 600 people there drinking their head off to your bar and you're making whatever, how many bucks. So if you don't want to do that, I'll just cancel all the rest of the shows. Anyway, though, I never really got many of those calls again. So that's really how it sort of got... That's how we really got into it.
1: Chris Murphy. This is From the Inside with Peter Ricks. In a moment, Chris explains how he came to become Inexcess's agent and then manager, an unlikely approach with an unlikely price tag, making this story the stuff of legends. So there's a length of time that now has solo premier
0: trading in Sydney and it grows and evolves. And then legend has it that Gary Morris the Midnight Oil manager, was interested in this little band that arrived from Perth and then sent you to look at them.
2: Is is that is that urban mythology? No, oh, it's actually fact. I'll tell you the whole story. I'm sure Gary won't mind it. He needs to be credited for it. Um, the uh, – I actually left Soul – I actually – had, you know, solo premiere, had Michael Chuggers uh, as, a, as a director, Michael Kadinsky, Philip Jakes and I think maybe Ray Evans, I can't remember. And one afternoon we had a sort of meeting and there was, I was always arguing the band should never play, paid a commission for the agent up here when they went to Melbourne and pay the agent again. I was always against double commissioning. And they kept saying, no, no, it's just the way it's going to work. And I spat the dummy and just left, just literally walked out, said, I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. I just went home and said, you can buy my shares, you can do whatever you want. And I had no idea what I was going to do, no idea. So I went from 24, 24, uh, whatever I was, 24. I mean, I, I will tell the story in honesty, not in, in arrogance, that I was mm. probably the most powerful person li- in the live scene. But by that stage, we had cultures or mm. uh, everyone, everyone, just everyone. Um, and, you know, yeah. cultures I met, I found somebody who introduced me to them at the, uh, at the wine bar in Oxford Street playing for 60 bucks on a Tuesday night. So I took them on. They had no manager. Uh, Yeah, so they were my two baby bands. So they'd come in every week. Don Don Walker would come in every Monday and would give him his dates. And I'd talked about, you know, basically managing them without even knowing that I was. Um, and the same thing with Doc and the Rooster Brothers who come in once a week, whatever. So in the end, we had so many bands. I actually pulled the bands and said, look, I've got a choice. You can spread... I can spread my uh, my time over these 20-odd bands or alternatively, I bring someone in and put someone else on those bands, but I'm going to have to charge you extra commission. I'm going to have to charge you 12.5% instead of 10. And they said, oh, no problems, no problems. So remember, that's a management and agency fee, basically. Um, and so that went on and I took, as I said, took cultures, you know, to $20,000 a week and broke every record in the world and did all that sort of stuff. They got a record deal with Warners and next, then the first album came out and, and, you know, angels were releasing stuff through Alberts. it was all going well. And all of a sudden, these guys all decided to come back to work.
0: Yeah, the Adelaide Mafia.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. And uh, then turned around and said, oh, Chris, we're starting Dirty Pool. We're going to have our own booking agency and we're going to take the 10% and, and our management fees. So they're taking the 15, 20 plus the third. I was oh, if I was a gangster, I would have killed them. And were you still at Solar Premier at the time? Uh, actually, I think, it, I think it was all about the same time, time maybe, yeah. or after. Because they were certainly not acts
0: that... Premier in Melbourne had much to do with it all.
2: No, nothing. In fact, there was always an anti-Helpings, the Sydney yeah. Acts in yeah, Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's how, I'm just trying, where were, where were we going with that? Because I've just got, yeah, so that's what happened. Well, so the time frame. Well, Gary Morris is still in the middle. Oh, of yeah, something. so Gary, so Gary, but so what happened is I was uh, Gary's agent with Midnight Oil and uh, <laughs> it was always tricky. Gary would come in and go, uh, I've got an idea. Let's play every venue, Wednesday and Thursday. I go, no, 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 don't play two nights, nice, Gary. Go, okay, and then come back in the next day and go, let's play every second Wednesday on a Tuesday and a Thursday and put it back on a Saturday. I go, no, 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 Gary, let's just <laughs> this is not Tuesday. And he always had this, no, Gary, just, just keep it simple, stupid. That's, that's what it is. Anyway, so I knew Gary and after I left the solo uh, premier thing, I was actually, uh, I had a horse, I was breeding horses at the time so I was, still had plenty of things to do. Um, and I got a phone call one that's right, jeez, bringing all back. I got a phone call one night saying we're bringing XTC to Australia and we need your marketing expertise. Now, the mode marketing wasn't even in my, I, I, I didn't, you know, didn't even know what marketing was. So, marketing expertise, huh? So, anyway, and I said, oh, who, who's XTC? They said, oh, this is a band that just starting. to get played on Triple J and they want to come and tour Australia and then we want to put them through the pubs and clubs. So I said, oh, okay, let me think about it. Anyway, I came up with this campaign of marketing XTC inside the venue. So I had uh, so I had all the venues wearing XTC T-shirts. I got stickers made, went around to all the toilets, put them in the back of toilet doors and things. Just So it was all about – so at three months out was just XTC inside the venue. Who, so, who was the
0: promoter of this?
2: You. Uh, well, me really. Really? And um, so – I don't know if I got any credit for it, but it doesn't, doesn't matter. But then well, we turned up uh, Laurie Dunn from Virgin, that's right, flew out for the opening oh, of the show. Oh, Lurie... yes, of course, the record company. Yeah, Laurie yeah, Dunn. Of course. Now, I think at this stage I've just met in excess. So I was living out in Windsor and I'd drive into town, pick them all up, drive them to Dapto where the first show was. And that's the other day we did a triple J uh, simulcast or double J simulcast of the first show. Of XTC. <clears throat> yeah, at Dapto Leaks. <laughs> Um, and we turned up and the freaking thing sold out, packed to the rafters. So, phew, pretty good. All from internal marketing. Yeah. You know. Um, so, that night I drove home, came to Sydney, and it was a long drive in those days. Dropped them all off at the Seaball, wherever else, and I just started driving home, fell to sleep, you know, whatever, say, 2019, and rode off the car I was in and they kill myself. And that, ah. and that point I thought, I better... Uh, I better get out of here. I better do something about this because the in excess had just come on the on the scene. Um, now going back to Gary Morris, sorry, I just need to put all that in time yeah, no, it. time uh, concept for me. and at that same time I was looking for doing different things outside of just booking band. So um, my sister Shan uh, and I came up with this idea of I think we, maybe we picked that's right we, I think we picked up a New Zealand band Hello Sailor. Hello, Sailor. Yeah, and then we've got the dudes or something. And then we came up with this idea of tour no one was tour, no Australian bands were touring in Austro- uh, touring New Zealand. So we started I don't know if we did I don't know how many we did. I anyway we did the midnight all tour of New Zealand. And I when I was on the tour with Shark, and I never heard a bunch of people bitch so much in all my life. But anyway, they were bitching about Gary Morris the whole time. And I was sitting there going, she's pretty uncool doing this in front of me and in front of people. So anyway, I think I called Gary and I got back and said, can you come into my office? And he came in about four o'clock one afternoon. I said, mate, you're dead. I said, these guys are going to rip your throat out. I don't know what you, what's going on here, but I'm just telling you, it's not, it's not going to look good. He goes, oh, no, don't worry about it. I mean, I've seen God, and uh, God's told me it's all okay. It's all clear, but, uh, but I'm going to be okay. But the, mission from the, the the message from God is I can only manage one band. I said, sure, it's not Peter Garrett. <laughs> and um, so the, <laughs> so he goes, oh, I said, okay, fair enough. And he goes, but I've got a problem. I've got this band I've been developing called In Excess. I said, what? I've got this band. And, and I, I said, but the problem is I've spent $400 on the posters. And, I said, and he said, if you give me $400, <laughs> um, I'll, I, you can have the band. It's yeah, a fucking great story. And uh, so the. 400 bucks got <laughs> you the band.
0: Did
2: yeah. they know? Who? The band. Oh, I don't know what what they remember, what they Man, know. It's the of, title of an album. <laughs> Four hundred bucks. <laughs> Not a bad name for a book, actually. So the uh, so I, I'm pretty sure it was the same night. He said, "I oh, look at the midnight tour is opening the Stage Door Tavern tonight." The uh-huh. tour, but the one where the where the where the the water would drip from the ceiling. From yeah, the, yeah, the the mid, sta- yeah, yeah. Well, they all did in those days, but Stage Door was. These days, you'd put 120 people in. They're yeah. putting 1,700 in. Yeah. <laughs> um. It's true. Uh, the, um, so I went along and stood there and these skinny little kids come out and these skinny little kids doing all this stuff. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, huh, this is different. So I went up. He was doing lights on a box about this big, like that, Gary Morris. So I went up to him, tapped him on the, sho- on the thing and he said, yeah, no, and I, was, I said, it's all right, I'll take him after about the fourth song. So he goes, oh, great, great. And um, so anyway... Then I went home and Wendy, my first wife, was pregnant with Stevie, my eldest daughter. Um, and I said, I think I've seen a really, really good band. Now, let me ref- let me go back. Nearly most of the bands, when I was an agent, asked me to manage them because, you know, why not? Any port in a storm, right? Yeah. So the... Um, so um, I said, they, they're playing at Penrith Leagues uh, t- on Sunday night, um, and, which is just, you know, 20 minutes from where we, where we were, at Richmond, Windsor. I said, I, I know that you're pregnant and everything, but uh, can, I, I, can we go over and, and have a look? i like to, anyway, went home and had a look. And, uh, and here's little Stevie inside listening to the John <laughs> Farish drum sound. And then we went backstage and I met them for the first time and they were talking about this really weird stuff like Average White Band and all this stuff, right? All this stuff that, you know, nobody, none of the other bands were talking about. The other bands were rock bands. And um, so I said come to my office on Monday and then they kept asking me to manage them, uh, particularly Tim Farris. And then one day after five or six times of asking me, Tim said, can we just have a barbecue and uh, get to know each other? And I thought... She, I think I like these blokes. Mm. So really, then, on the 18th of March, uh, no, what was it? The 12th of March, 1980, we signed our first five-year contract, and my daughter was born on the 18th of March.
1: In part two of Peter Rix's conversation with Chris Murphy, Chris talks about the early years of growing in excess, both in Australia and overseas. That's next time on From the Inside. From the Inside is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.